Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Ticats head coach Orlando Steinauer joins us to discuss Hamilton's loss to Winnipeg in the Grey Cup. Time magazine names Elon Musk its person of the year. We preview the federal government's fall fiscal update. Canada's inflation rate continues to make waves. Find out how a shopping mall in Burlington is using AI to sort your garbage. And apparently talking to your baby like a maybe does a lot of good. The GMH podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. Tell you what, uh, I drove a long way from BC to come here. Longtime Ticat fan and uh, heartbreaking to see, but at least it was a good football game. Uh, we lost, but it was still a good game. It was a tough loss, but, uh, you know, we did everything we could. They totally should have won. Seriously, they had it. It was going to be ours. Hamilton Tiger Cats falling oh so short against Winnipeg in Sunday's Grey Cup Championship at Tim Hortons Field, and we're still all feeling a little gloomy. Orlando Steinauer is the head coach of the Hamilton Tiger Cats and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, O. Good morning, Rick. How are we doing? Good. How are you? Uh, I'm healing. Yeah, aren't we all? How, how's that process it's, going? Uh, what, what are you doing? Oh well, we it, it hasn't stopped. It's uh, we got medicals check out medicals for the players yesterday. We'll have some exit interviews today, and then uh, we got to let them move on as people, uh, you know, to get the holidays and the rest of the life uh, rolling for them. Now we know a loss is a loss is a loss. They all kind of sting. Does this one hurt a little bit more than 2019? Given that you know it was overtime, it was at home. Uh, d- does it hurt a little bit more? Uh, good question. I don't even, I don't, and unfortunately I don't have a good answer. It, it stings cause it's, uh, I guess the quick answer would be yes, because it's fresh, right? It's fresh and, uh, yeah, it's just not fun. You know, it's what you sign up for. Um, and you know, there's always going to be a, a winner and a loser every week, but, um, I, I don't have a great answer for you as far as does it sting more. It sure stings a whole bunch. Mm-hmm. Losing, losing in the in an elimination game in a championship game, it hurts in the heart. I'm I'm super dis. I'll say this: I'm a, there's a lot more disappointment from the standpoint of just you know the city. Uh, the fans were amazing, just outstanding. I was hard pressed to find any blue or any other color from the CFL uh, in that crowd. Um, just uh, disappointed for them, and 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 discouraged. Uh, but I hopefully they're proud of the product. You know, we we came out came up short on the scoreboard, but uh, the players out there played their hearts out. Yeah, there, there's no taking that away from the team. It was a hard fought effort, and uh, you know, an, an exceptionally fantastic season, and what was a very difficult season as well because of COVID protocols, injuries, all that kind of stuff, and you. You know, you made it to the championship game and were, you know, a, a couple of plays here and there away from raising the trophy. Yeah, it was a, a, a really challenging year from that standpoint. And, you know, it's everything that, that goes into that, uh, you know, the stuff be, behind uh, the walls here in the building daily, uh, the players adhering to protocols, uh, protocol switching, uh, missing their family, you know, doing meetings via Zoom, uh, just coaches practicing with masks in the beginning, uh, just so, so many little variables that uh, you dealt with daily. So there's just so much to be proud of. Uh, there's always one goal, 
But if we're only defined by the scoreboard, uh, we're going to be let down in life and in sports a lot more uh, than we're going to be lifted up. A lot of the fans on our postgame show, the fifth quarter here on CHML, pointing to uh, you know the, the the kickoff rouge toward the end of the game is you know one of the factors that you know cost the, the 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 team the game. Do you mull over plays like that or certain plays during the day or during the game over the next few days, or is it something you just say, "Hey, we lost. We'll forget about it. We'll learn from it." Yeah, I just say everybody has an opinion. We're lining up to win the football game. That's what I would say to that. Yeah, uh, there is an elephant in the room as well, and it regards your future with the team. I know, and I know you're probably knowing. I was going to ask this question: the NCAA and the University of Washington needs a defensive coordinator. Your name has been mentioned. Is that something you would consider this off season? I'm not even. I'm not even uh, focused on that, Rick. Right now, I've got, like I said, post game. Uh, my feet. Uh, I am where my feet are planted, and that's that's my focus right now. Um, there's opportunities out there. I think that, uh, be it players, other coaches or whatnot may entertain. So, you know, I'm not going to say yes or no. I'm going to say that there has, there's nothing to entertain at this current time. Um, with every off season, there's player changes, coaches changing, you know, you've been in this world basically your whole life. Uh, you know, one of the questions the fans is asking is, is Hamilton's gray cup window still open? What would you say to that? Oh, I think every year when you come to training camp, the goal is to win the training camp. And every off season, you're building to make yourself better to give you the best chance to win a championship. There's so much that goes into it. You, everybody always understands what the end goal is. Uh, the challenge with that is there's only one champion, and this is a sports entertainment business, and everybody's going to have all the right answers. But uh, sometimes what you view as the right answers in the off season, sometimes you got to shift. You got to make midstream adjustments, uh, just as we did this year. You you can't predict injuries. You can't predict right. So the game's not won on paper. The game's won on the field. So um, yes, the answer is absolutely yes. We strive to win multiple championships here. Uh, multiple championships start with winning one, and uh, I'm I'm proud. And uh, I just won't be defined by the scoreboard. Yeah, there there may not have been a trophy at the end of this season, but it was certainly a successful one in many respects. And oh, you're a big part of that uh, for sure. Thanks for your time. Uh, enjoy the off season and Merry Christmas as well. Awesome, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Have a great day. You too, Orlando Steinauer, head coach of the Hamilton Tiger Cats. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Interesting news out of Time Magazine yesterday. It's time person of the year for 2021 is Elon Musk. And some are saying, what? Here to break it down is Carmi Levy, tech analyst, joining us on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Carmi. Good morning, Rick. Great to be here. Well, your reaction to Mr. Musk being the person of the year. What do you think? I think this is Time Magazine being Time Magazine. I mean, this is the same magazine that a few generations ago named Adolf Hitler as their Time Mag- Person of the Year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, and the explanation at the time, which still holds through, true today, is they're not making moral judgments on whoever they choose. Really, what they're trying to do is illustrate just who uh, pushed our buttons the most over the last year, who generated the most obvious headlines, uh, who gets our attention time and time again. And, you know, down to the business of, of being a publisher like Time is, 
uh, who gets clicks, who sells magazines, who drives business, who brings people in. That's Elon Musk. If they had picked someone less controversial, uh, they we probably wouldn't be talking about it today. How big of a factor is, because we know magazine subscriptions are down, newspaper subscriptions are, you know, down. How much of it is about that? And, you know, profiling someone who's kind of way out there, has some really bonker ideas, has done a lot of good and uh, has also made a lot of money, but is, as you said, quite controversial. How much of this decision revolves around selling more magazines or subscriptions? I think it's everything. Yeah. Uh, I think it's it all speaks to relevance, and Time wants to desperately be seen as still relevant in this post-magazine digital consumption era. And so what better way than to, you know, you have this annual person of the year release, which is, you know, still carries some weight, so you use it to create an even bigger bang uh, and convince people that, yeah, no, they may not be buying magazines at uh, newsstands like they used to, but they can still subscribe online. They still have premium subscriptions. They can still follow the brand on social media. They can still drive advertising revenue in other ways. Uh, and and I, you know, I, I may not always agree with those decisions. I mean, some of their some of their person of the year calls year after year are somewhat questionable. But uh, I, it's hard to argue that. They're not succeeding in that regard because at least one time every year people go, oh, yeah, there was a Time magazine and they still do stuff. I should pay a little more attention. Carmi Levy is our guest tech analyst. You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Rick Samprin with you. Uh, If anything, Elon Musk has his hands in a lot of things, doesn't he? It does. You know, electric vehicles uh, with Tesla. Also, you know, they do solar roofs, batteries. SpaceX uh, has has raised rocket reusability to a high art. They're about to launch their next generation Starship uh, and doing all sorts of insane things in space, really pushing the boundaries there. Uh, they've built a, a high-speed subway under Las Vegas called Boring. It's called the Boring Company. Uh, Neuralink, he's implanting uh, you know, devices into people's heads so that they can uh, over overcome paralysis, paraplegics. They're looking forward to this technology. This is a guy who changes paradigms. He's, you know, basically a modern day Renaissance man. And yeah, he is out there. But the truth of the matter is people who operate on this level are going to be different than you and me. They may not always subscribe to the same rules. They are going to be outside of that sort of bound of what we call normality. Uh, and and I think that's that's why we pay attention to him. You say the name Elon Musk, people stop and turn, uh, and that speaks something to see, to something in this day and age because that doesn't always happen. Most people aren't that notable, and Elon Musk, uh, you know, for better or for worse, is. He is uh, the uh, what I read yesterday. I think the richest man on the planet in terms of net worth. How did he come into his money? What what happened there? His parents were in mining. Ah. in South Africa. And of course, there's that Canadian connection, because when he came to university, he studied at Queens. Uh, and, uh, and, and you know, so we've got a bit of Canadian pride wrapped up in him. And uh, he certainly doesn't hide that from his heritage. Um, but you know what he's done, he's skirted bankruptcy more than once. SpaceX was one launch away from failure, uh, before they finally achieved orbit with the Falcon 1. Uh, now he's, uh, he's raising alarm bells about SpaceX again, saying that they've got a produce more Raptor engines for the Starship. Otherwise, they're in trouble. He sent out an email on, on Thanksgiving to employees. If you said, don't have plans, come in. We need your help. So here's a guy who's made a lot of money, but has never just sort of banked it and said, okay, I'm good. I'm just going to chill now and go on cruise control for the rest of my life. 
he really does want to change things and he's willing to put it all on the line willing to risk it uh to that point no like jeff bezos he doesn't pay taxes there are issues there <laughs> and uh, i think a lot of us who do pay taxes would take issue with it but uh you know at the end of the day here's a guy who's always willing to roll the dice always willing to come this close to disaster and somehow he pulls it out of the fire yeah if anything he has uh, some uh, unbelievable ideas and uh, some of them you know come to fruition most if if not all come to fruition and uh, he's uh, certainly a fascinating guy that is for sure carmy you're also just as fascinating <laughs> Thanks so much, Rick. <laughs> Appreciate it. Appreciate that. the time, and uh, we'll, we'll chat with you down the road. Look forward to it. Thanks so much. Carmi Levy, tech analyst, joining us here to break down Elon Musk's naming of Person of the Year, Time Magazine also naming Olivia Rodrigo as its Entertainer of the Year, American gymnast Simone Biles, Athlete of the Year, and vaccine scientists were named Heroes of the Year. All three great choices there as well. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Big happenings on the Hill today, Parliament Hill in Ottawa, where Finance Minister Christian Freelands will release an updated accounting of federal finances and provide the government's economic outlook for the coming months. We call it the fiscal update. Devin McCarthy is a senior VP and federal practice lead at Sussex Strategy and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Devin. Good morning, Rick. How are you? Good. Yourself? I'm fine, thanks. What should we expect to hear from Minister Freeland today? Yeah, I, I think today we're expecting a slimmed-down fall economic statement from, from what we've seen in, uh, in in previous years under this Liberal government and, and indeed under the last few years of the, of the Harper regime. Um, the, the fall economic statements 10 years ago were, 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 really, were really that. They were a statement on... Uh, the fiscal situation of the country in the lead up to the the uh, the spring budget, um, and the liberals, you know, and then over the last number of years, it's really grown into uh, almost a mini budget on its own. Uh, but the liberals just don't need to to put that sort of spending in in the window right now. I think, as 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 most Canadians know, they've spent the last year making those commitments um, through green infrastructure commitments last December. 101 billion dollars uh, in the budget in the spring, and then and then 78 billion dollars uh, of new spending commitments in their in their platform uh, over the summer. So they they have the ambition, they they have the spend. Um, what I think they don't need right now is is, is uh, a, a lot of new spending uh, in the in the window. They they need implementation and and execution. And so we're not expected to hear new spending today. It's just a reconfirmation of what has happened and, and a go-forward plan. Is that basically what you're hearing as well? That, 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 that's basically it. Um, the most notable new commitment uh, will be $40 billion for First Nations child welfare compensation and, and long-term reform. Um, these are discussions uh, that are being led by uh the government of Canada, but on the other side of the table, uh, Cindy Blackstock, the executive director of the First Nations Child and, and Family Caring Society of Canada, uh, and, and being mediated by uh, Murray Sinclair, who, who uh, a, a very well-respected Indigenous mm-hmm. senator uh, who left the Senate in January. So $40 billion for that is sort of the, the, the new big uh, piece, which, which is uh, uh, certainly not small, um, 
but but also very important. Devin McCarthy is our guest, Senior Vice President and Federal Practice Lead at Sussex Strategy. Uh, you're, you're listening to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. We do know that the government predicted the deficit for the last fiscal year would be north of $354 billion, nearly $155 billion this year. The Liberals certainly under pressure to balance the budget. Do you expect to hear or maybe see some kind of plan in that regard? I don't uh, expect any plan in the near term to balance the budget. There may there may be uh, language looking ten years out, but even that would probably be reserved for for uh, for budget twenty twenty two in the spring. Um, you know, I, I do think that there are a lot of people looking for a more sober approach, especially in the business community. Um, there are a lot of risks out there. Inflation uh, being one, a very warm economy, um, Omicron, U.S. protectionism. Um, so how is the government addressing these issues? Is is, is it keeping some powder dry uh, for for the days ahead? Uh, on the flip side, the economic picture uh, is going to look pretty good. Um, you know, the new expenditures on 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 extending the programs that that have already been announced, um, particularly business supports, will likely be covered by raising or revised revenue estimates. Um, so, so rather than, I think that this government's approach is 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 when you have a bit of uh, additional room uh, in the fiscal picture, uh, rather than than pulling back on on the deficit, um, it, it actually provides uh, more room to increase the uh, to the the spend back to that uh, forecasted level. One of the big issues that many people are facing, not only here in Hamilton or Ontario, but really from coast to coast, is housing affordability. Uh, is there an expectation that some sort of announcement, or at least the foundation of, I know that there's a federal housing program that was launched years ago, and we're still kind of you know, rolling the ball down that hill. Is there any kind of acknowledgement that you expect to hear today on that file? I, I, I think there will be an acknowledgement of that. Um, you know, the Liberals uh, look at inflation um, through the lens of affordability, and housing and, and child care are sort of the two issues at the heart of that for them. So certainly, you know, I think there will be some some language around uh, developing anti-flipping uh, legislation uh, and, and, and uh, supports for low-income housing that, that have been previously announced in the budget and, and the platform, but uh, given more shape in, in the fall economic statement today. Devin McCarthy from the Sussex Strategy, Senior VP and Federal Practice Lead, is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Um, any sort of COVID relief uh, extensions or cancellations or deferrals that we're expecting to see? We know that Omicron has taken hold and is uh, soon to become the dominant variant here in Ontario and probably soon across the country. It, does that heighten the awareness of uh, perhaps extending any kind of these relief efforts? I do think that Omicron is at the absolute forefront of uh, of the government's mind these days. Um, you know, they, they, they ran deficits. We'll see the final numbers uh, or the final projections uh, later today, but somewhere in the in the range of three hundred and fifty uh, billion dollars uh, throughout the pandemic so far. Um, and if Omicron gets out of hand in the new year, uh, that will drive that spend forward. The, the, the government has said again and again that it will have Canadians back, uh, that it will have businesses back. Uh, and so I think if the 
if Omicron uh, takes off as as the projections uh, unfortunately are, are showing that it might, um, uh, I think the the government will extend uh, those supports. There are already they've already announced um, the, uh, extension of supports into New Year's into the new year based on uh, the the sort of picture of a month ago, uh, but that picture is is unfortunately evolving rapidly and and they'll have to have some sort of uh contingency plan uh, in 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 backup to deal with that in the new year last question for me and we got about a minute uh, inflation and uh, you know the bank of canada has hinted at interest rates at some points next year or maybe even the year after uh starting to go up uh what do you expect to hear on those two fronts yeah on inflation um I think the government uh, is is focused on maintaining uh, um, inflation at that two percent level uh, over time. How successful they will be at that uh, very much remains to be seen. Certainly, the economy is overheated right now, and they are hearing that uh, from the business community, the Business Council of Canada, uh, and others. In in, in fact, um, uh, former uh, Finance Minister Bill Morneau uh, co-authored uh, uh, an op-ed this week, uh, calling on the government to 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 cool down the spend so as not to to further overheat uh, the economy. Um, I just don't think that that approach is necessarily in the Liberals' DNA. They 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 believe that they're tackling generational issues here, um, coming back from COVID, uh, tackling climate change. Um, uh, tackling inequality and, and things like child poverty, uh, and those and those need investments now uh, that can't wait uh, into the future. Devin, we got to run. Thank you for your time today. Enjoy the rest of your day. All right, thanks for having me, Rick. That is Devin McCarthy, Senior VP and Federal Practice Lead at Sussex Strategy, as the fiscal update will be delivered uh, later on this morning. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Maintaining a stable environment for the prices Canadians pay is the paramount objective for Canada's monetary policy. That has been the case for the past 30 years. And that will remain the case for the next five years as well. That is Finance Minister Christian Freeland instructing the Bank of Canada to keep the annual inflation rate between 1% and 3%. But new research from the Fraser Institute shows Canada's inflation rate is the sixth highest among a group of 35 countries. That is sky high. Livio Di Matteo is a professor of economics at Lakehead University in Thunder Bay and a senior fellow with the Fraser Institute and joins us this morning. Good morning, Livio. How are you today? Good morning, Rick. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for joining us on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Why is inflation so high? What has happened? Well, actually, there's a, a number of things that, that have happened. Um, it's not just one one factor causing inflation. I, I mean, there's been all the supply chain disruptions from the pandemic uh, that's been a factor. Uh, there's been the fact that uh, people have saved a lot of money, and so there's all this pent-up demand, and they're trying to spend it at a time where there's supply chain disruptions. Uh, then the government has been running large deficits, and uh, the money supply has been going up, and interest rates are low, so that's been fueling inflation also. Uh, carbon taxes have been growing uh, also on on the side. Uh, people don't notice that as much but they've been going up, are supposed to go up about $20 a year and then $15 a year. 
And so you add all that up, and inflation's up. And the things that have been hit the most uh, are essentially uh, food, gasoline. I mean, gasoline is up about 40%. Food's up about 4%. Uh, shelter costs, you know, housing, rent are up about 15%. And then, you know, depending on the category, uh, if you're buying red meat, uh, that's up about 10%. So uh, the latest inflation rate's about 4.7%, but in a sense, we all have our own personal rate of inflation, depending on the things that uh, we're buying. Yeah, all the stuff we really need is really costing us more. Are there other countries that have kept their inflation relatively low, or at least lower than us? Well, we, um, we're we at the top. I think we are at number uh, six out of 35 IMF countries. So the countries that are higher than us are Germany, Iceland, Latvia, the United States, and Estonia. But then everybody else is below us. So, uh, you know, the lowest ones are, you know, Japan and Switzerland are both under 1%. Hmm. Uh, Luxembourg, Singapore, and Greece are just a bit above 1%. And then everybody else is sort of in between Canada and Japan, Switzerland, and Greece. So what are those countries doing that we're not, or what are they able to do that we can't capitalize on? Well, I, I think one of the things that's marked our experience uh, from there is we are, in a sense, very export-oriented and very supply chain dependent. A, lo- a lot of our imported goods come in from the U.S. because of our close trade links with the Americans. And so the supply chain disruption, I think, has hit us fairly hard. And so that's been a factor. Uh, amongst all these IMF countries, we've also been uh, one of the countries that has run one of the highest deficits uh, as a share of our GDP in terms of the assistance that we provided in terms of all the money that was pumped into the economy. So I think those are, 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 are definitely factors uh, that have been uh, responsible for us being hit uh, a bit harder on the inflationary side. Livio DiMatteo is a professor of economics at Lakehead University in Thunder Bay, a senior fellow with the Fraser Institute, and our guest here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. The Prime Minister not too long ago said he couldn't really control global inflation. Uh, is that partly true, or is there something that the government can do? Well, like all like, like all statements the government makes, there there is some truth in it. I, I mean, Canada is a small, open economy. And, we you know, we cannot control the world economy. In a sense, we sort of have to take things as they come. Uh, but at the same time, uh, announcing the inflation target is going to be between 1% and 3%, I think, is a good step. Uh, the deficits, I, I think, uh, and the spending probably need to be reined in. We um, provide an awful lot of support uh, for the economy more than probably uh, we needed to. It's not that we shouldn't have spent money uh, to assist people during COVID, but we spent quite a bit. And once this is all over, the federal government has basically ramped up spending by about 20% uh, overall. Like once you get rid of this COVID bubble, uh, you know, our spending almost doubled from 2019 into 2020. Hmm. It started to go down, but by the time uh, it sort of levels off and starts to only go up at about 3% a year, we will have added about 20% to base federal spending over the course of two years. So they basically have enriched spending, and it's been funded primarily via deficits as revenues have not caught up. Yeah. Livio, we'll have to leave it there. We're plumb out of time. Appreciate your time today. Thanks for joining us on the show. My pleasure. Have a great day, Rick. You too. Livio Di Matteo is a senior fellow with the Fraser Institute and a professor at economics at Lakehead University. Canada also, by the way, the sixth highest in terms of the misery index. Yeah, that uh, combines the uh, inflation rate with the empl- unemployment rate 
And uh, so we're sixth highest in that regard as well. Not uh, very impressive numbers. We don't want to be at the top of these lists. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. We've all heard of Oscar the Grouch. Whether, whether or not you were accustomed to waking up and watching Sesame Street as a kid or watching it as an adult through your child's eyes, you know who Oscar the Grouch is. You know, that grouch who just happens to live in a trash can. Well, there's another Oscar to tell you about. This one is named Oscar Sorts. And yet it has something to do with your trash. It's a new artificial intelligence-powered system that's being used at Burlington Center to assist with waste management and diverting waste away from oceans and landfills. This is kind of cool. Heidi McGaw is the general manager of Burlington Center and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Heidi. Good morning. This is a wonderful idea. Yeah, we're really excited to introduce this. How does it work? Basically, um, as uh, visitors approach the um, way stations, artificial intelligence-powered cameras will automatically identify um, recycling waste that's on your food court tray from trash, and it will identify whether it belongs in the compost or recycling or if it goes into the landfill stream. So is Oscar talking to shoppers or people in the food court to say, hey, this this has to go here and this has to go there? Is it pointing to something? Are there arrows? It's it's a visual screen. Okay. Um, so as opposed to, um, you know, it has different streams, so it will show you your Tim Hortons cup, for instance, and it will say, put your paper sleeves in the paper recycling and then put the actual cup in the waste bin and it will visually show you which bin to put it in. Okay, so are shoppers playing along? Are they getting uh, the hang of this thing? You know what, it's early stages, so we've just literally introduced it. So we're we're just trying to get the word out so that when people come back to the mall for their next shopping trip, they're going to check it out and try it. So why put this in? Was there a need? Were you seeing a lot of recyclables ending up in the garbage bin? Well, we've really been focused on trying um, different things for helping our environment. And because of uh, the support of our co-owners, Kingset Capital and RioCan, um, this unit was introduced to us and the food court generates waste. And it's a great opportunity for us to tackle it right at the source. So instead of just automatically dumping um, the food court tray waste in one landfill bin, it prompts people to think about it and, you know, take that extra second to put that that plastic bottle into the recycling bin. Also, you know, puts saving the environment, saving the planet front and center and on the top of the mind of everyone who encounters Oscar sorts. And, and they may take that to other places or, or take it back home. So this is having a, a wide kind of impact here. It's a huge impact, and it, it, it just takes a second, but the, the impact is huge. And we've tried to amplify it by adding additional um, things. So we have a zero-waste zone now that we've, we've set up. And so things like Brita filters or um, Halloween candy wrappers that you can't traditionally recycle in your household waste at the curbside we have bins where you can bring those items and we will properly recycle them. Heidi McGaugh is our guest, General Manager of Burlington Centre. You can check out them all at Fairview and Guelph Line. Uh, Is this going to expand to other shopping malls? I think right now we're going to see how it goes. Mm -hmm. Um, We may introduce more units in our centre. And certainly, um, you know, it's something that that we'll look to to see if we can uh, put it out at other properties.
You also mentioned the zero-waste stations. Are there several of those in the mall, or is it just right where Oscar Sort is as well? There's one station, and it's near our Bank of Montreal entrance, and it has a number of these um, boxes, um, whereas the Oscar bins are, are dedicated in the food court. Um, and then in addition, one other item that we're doing is we partnered with Burlington Green and we've done zero waste drive through events in our parking lot. And we're going to continue that next year so people can come and drive into the parking lot, pop their trunk and recycle um, e-waste, computers, cell phones or any of the, um, the bins that I mentioned, like the candy wrappers and batteries and Brita filters. I know it's, this has just been launched, but can we call Oscar Sort a success? Are we seeing uh, the, the proper things being put in the proper bins? You know what, I think any time that we're able to um, educate the community and remind them to recycle, I think it's going to have great benefit. Absolutely. How's the Christmas shopping season going, by the way? Wonderful, wonderful. We're just excited to see people um, you know, shopping and, and enjoying the Christmas season. It's it's a lot different from, from what we saw last year. So it's it's wonderful to see. Yeah, uh, we're in a much better place, and hopefully it's even better next year. Uh, Heidi, thanks for joining us today. Merry Christmas and uh, great job with Oscar Sort. Looking forward to uh, interacting with it sometime soon. Thanks so much for sharing the initiative. Heidi McGaugh is the GM of Burlington Centre. Check out the mall, Fairview and Guelph Line. It's a great uh, shopping destination if you're looking to do your Christmas shopping or just shopping in general. And, uh, yeah, I plan to visit sometime soon because I want to check out Oscar Sort and see how it works. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Hey, there's a new study that uh, shows that talking baby talk to infants actually helps children learn how to talk. Uh, This is a story out of McGill University and the University of Florida. And joining us now to chat about this is Maureen Dennis, content creator, spokesperson, on-air speaker with We Welcome. Maureen, how are you today? Great, thank you. How are you? Not too bad. I guess it's a good thing that we can all talk baby talk. (laughs) I guess it is. Who knew? (laughs) Yeah. Um, How does it help infants? How do they learn uh, through us talking like babies? Well, the funny thing is, is that, you know, when you think about it, it actually does make a lot of sense. Um, When you baby talk, you know, using that sort of high pitched um, sort of, you know, voice, you're being a little bit more animated. Um, That's going to catch baby's attention. And then usually we really, really simplify whatever it is we're saying. So it could just be mommy, could be doggy, you know, could be, um, you know, like quack, quack, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, Those are going to catch baby's attention. And because those words are, um, you know, not strung into a full sentence, they can start to learn to pick up those words more quickly. Um, So, which makes sense. Like I know if I'm speaking to or listening to someone speak in another language and, um, you know, I have some French, some Spanish, but if you speak really quickly, I have no idea what you're saying. But if you're saying words individually, I can catch on a lot faster. And this is more than just, uh, you know, the goo-goo-ga-ga type thing. This is, uh, you know, saying words slowly or really emphasizing an object or a picture or something like that, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, if if they're not real words, that's not going to help them. (laughs) But I think it's more of the, (laughs) you know, and I think that there is a time and a place for when, you know, we need to transition into, uh, you know, phrases and full sentences and what have you and not continue to baby talk you know, out of the baby stage. I Mm -hmm. think that that's definitely important as well. But it makes sense that this study uh, shows that, you know, having those short words with, you know, a funny voice and attention 
um, is going to help baby learn how to, you know, use language more quickly. Is that partly why shows, TV programs uh, that are directed to children, you know, Sesame Street kind of comes to mind, why they're so successful? Because, yeah, they're, they're talking as we normally talk, but they have the higher pitch. They might slow down in certain sentences. Is that why they're so successful? Oh, definitely, yeah. I mean, the the um, amount of child development that goes into children's programming is quite phenomenal. Um, but I think probably if you could think back to one of the ones that people will uh, remember and still not quite understand would be Teletubbies, right? <laughs> yes. That actual garbledy goop, um, bright colors, weird patterns, um, you know, big faces, things like that. That definitely got the attention of the very young. Um, and it makes sense. And the old who wanted to turn it off, I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. Maureen, That's for sure. Yeah, Maureen, we'll have to leave it there. Thanks for joining us today, and enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. You too. That's Maureen Dennis from We Welcome, content creator, spokesperson, on-air speaker. Yeah, interesting story out of McGill and the University of Florida, uh, mimicking the sound of a smaller vocal tractor talking like a baby might, uh, you know, clue babies and how words should be sounding coming on, coming out of their own mouth. So uh, interesting uh, results out of that study. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.